Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Glad you're here. My name is Matt Davis. I'm one of the pastors and we are going to dive in this morning. We are on week number three. I'm going to say three. Uh, In our Galatians series, we're looking at this gospel of freedom. And I want us today to have a concept and understanding of the freedom that has been given to us. And, and the idea, we, we have an outline uh, in the bulletin. If you came in, you got that. We're going to talk about your former life. And I really want to fixate on this idea this morning of story. Now, we all have stories and narratives, but we, <laughs> we have stories and narratives that we just want to kind of hide and throw back into the past. And we're hoping for something better In the future. But we're also very familiar with other people's stories. And I I want you to think about this for a second. Um, When I was in high school, um, I was um, not as cool as the person I am today. Um, I was in what they called marching band. Um, I didn't even play like the cool instrument like trumpet or saxophone, I played clarinet. Um, but I was really good. I was the clarinet section leader. And I was also like the band president. Um, so that makes me like really, you know, fantastic. But uh, there was also this like contingent of kids that were just outside of the school. And just outside of the gate of the school, they were the smokers. And the smokers, they were like almost like lepers, right? Like you just, you take the long way around them when you are there in high school. And I remember... The day that the girl I happened to be dating in high school invited one of the smokers to come to church. And I thought to myself, why would she ever do that? It just didn't make sense to me. Why would we ever have that person over there with that story and with that baggage? Why would we invite them into church? And he actually came and showed up. Not only did he actually come and show up, but he actually started coming regularly and he actually gave his life to the Lord and his life drastically changed. That's amazing, right? Um, I got to meet with a guy last year who uh, was working on his relationship with his fiance. But one of the things that was kind of at issue and battled uh, was the fact that his family came from the drug cartel and he was just kind of immersed in that. And so they were working out, how do I get out of this family situation that I'm in? Um, But he also got caught by federal agents and is now actually serving time, uh, federal state penitentiary in uh, Arizona. But he came and we met for a number of months and his story has changed. And even though he is serving out his sentence still in prison, he is giving his life daily to the Lord. And then there was another person. And her story goes, uh, she showed up here to church one day and we ended up talking and praying over here on the side afterwards. And as she talked to me about her story, uh, she actually was originally from here in Southern California, met a guy and moved down with him to Mexico. They got married and found out that he was deeply involved in drugs and he owed a lot of money to some bad guys. And when those guys came to get the money from him and he didn't have it, They came after her and they beat her within an inch of her life. And she realized that this was not a situation that she could be a part of anymore. And this guy had run off and was with all kinds of other people. And her life was in shambles. And as she is 
in her car and she's still bleeding from her wounds. She says, God, if you get me out of here, I promise I will follow you the rest of my life. And then she sat right here in this service and was following and faithfully seeking after God. What is your story? Now, what I want to do is, is give you a little picture of this. And we're going to try something here this morning that I hope uh, actually works here. Not only do we have like a fancy TV that like comes up, it's kind of fancy, right? But I'm going to use something called a telestrator. Isn't that neat? And what I'm going to do with this telestrator is I'm going to draw a picture. Now, one day when I'm really old, I'll write a book and the book will be called Lessons I Learned from My Mentor While He Wrote Things in Starbucks on a Napkin. We'll come up with a sexier title later, but it's something like that. Um, but I would sit with my mentor and he would be writing and he would be giving me these ideas and talk about life. And this is one of the stories that he actually kind of told me and talked me through. And, and I think it applies to what I want to talk about today. So I'm just praying that this works. Yes. All right. He says this. God has a story. In fact, God's story is not just a story. It's the story. Right. And, and so the idea with that is that it's not just narrative. It's the meta narrative. It's the story that everything else falls under. And so this story, God's story, I'm just going to put his name here. Did that work? It did. So awesome. This is God's story. He's eternal and it's always been and always will be. And we are these little, it might be better if I just, it's working. Okay, great. We are these meta-narratives. We are these smaller stories. And what he said was, he says, Matt, it's an amazing moment. It's a really great moment when you realize that God's story is actually part of your story. That's a, that's a great moment when actually your story and God's story intersects. And then he says, it's actually an even greater moment when you realize that your story down here actually intersects with God's story. That is an amazing moment. Now, you have all come in here today and you all have a story. And so I want us to go through this. What happens when God's story intersects with your story? Would you go with me to Galatians chapter 1? And we're starting in verse 11. When God's story intersects with your story. And this is the message from a guy named Paul. And what we get to hear this morning is Paul's story. And this is what he says, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren. We hear brethren. These are believers. These are brothers of his. He says, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. We talked last week about false gospels, a gospel that would pull us away. But he says, the gospel that I'm preaching to you, this is not a false gospel that is according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, look, nobody told me this. In fact, I had this kind of amazing experience. And we'll get into that in a second. But God's story intersecting with your story is kind of a big deal. And you see this, uh, this timeline in your bulletin. And this is just a very rough sketch of it. But this is actually a timeline that we use as we go out through, throughout children's ministries and student ministries. We talk about this, this idea of scope. That if God is truly above all of this, that we are 
part of this story. And so we have outlined up here, we have some of these people who are part of God's story. This is revealed to us in the word of God. And so you have people up there like Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham. And then we have Moses, Joshua, David. And then we have some period of waiting over here. And then we have Jesus. And Jesus is central to this story. But I want you to know, before we like glorify all of these people, that guess what? You actually made it on the timeline as well. You and I are here on this timeline. And so we get to be part of God's story. He's included us. Now, Paul is, is somewhere over here. And then what we have at the end of the timeline is it's our future with Jesus. Now, as we are living out this story, we want to make sure that we have a good understanding that it's not just about us, but that we are part of God's greater story. And Paul says, my story changed. My story changed because God intervened in my life. And now I'm living my life out in such a way that I know that my story is part of his greater story. And so how God's story actually shapes your story is kind of a big deal. Look in verse 13. This is what he says. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism... How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. What he's trying to say is that before the gospel of freedom came and intersected with my life, I had a story that was going on before that. And what he does is he outlines two different ways of life. And actually what he's doing is he's taking away from us any excuse that we have, whether we err on the side of legalism or whether we err on the side of I'm just not good enough. And I want to open that up for us today because I feel like we kind of sit somewhere on one of those sides of the spectrum. And maybe we actually are going back and forth. But I want you to understand that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. We live in a culture of scarcity. And you look all around you and you start to think pretty horrible and bad thoughts about yourself. And we think that everything that I have done, my baggage, the stuff that I have done in my life, makes me no longer worthy to be part of the story of God. And so what Paul does is he lays out his story. And it's, it's pretty brutal. He says, you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. He says, I used to persecute. If you look at this, I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. He's not talking about, like, I wrote some bad articles. I have a blog that I'm trying to, like, get some stuff out there. He is literally going out, and he has legal documents as a Jewish Pharisee, a man who is following all of the laws. He's going out, and he's taking this paperwork, and he's going from town to town, and he's persecuting the church. The Jews who decided to follow the way to go after Jesus, he's going after them and he is literally having them murdered. He says, that was my former way of life. He says, that's not me anymore. And if you look at that passage, the things that he did, he says, I 
persecuted. I was advancing in Judaism. He says, I was more extremely jealous and zealous for the traditions, for the law of Moses. And so he's going after this. And I want you to know that no matter what it is that you have done in your life, that whatever it is that you've brought in today that is your current story, that your current story can become your former story. That what God, through his son Jesus, is putting on the table for every one of us today is that your current story can become your former story. And everything can change because of that. This is the gospel of freedom and this is the gospel of grace. So if you're sitting around and you're talking to Paul back in the day, you say, well, I've done really some horrible things. And you just start listing that out. He's like, well, I, I murdered somebody. Murdered lots of people. But my life, my story has changed. So there's nothing that you can do or there's nothing that you have done that will make God love you less. But there's also nothing that you can do to make him love you more. And this is maybe the area that I can settle in more often than not is this is my performance. This is how I'm going to get God to let me in. And so if the end in mind is, I just want to get into heaven, I just want to have this loving and this great relationship with God, then I know the steps that I need to take in between. And so I'm going to follow all of the rules. And so you look at Paul and his life and what he's saying is he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He is like on the varsity squad, right? Like he is a Jew of Jews and he is doing a great job with it. But what he's saying is, look, it's not, it's not the fact that I'm a murderer that doesn't let me in. And it's not even the fact that I've done all of these wonderful and amazing things. But it is by the gospel of grace that God has let me in. And so we, we kind of end up on this spectrum and we look at our lives and we, we kind of look at, well, on one side, these are all of the horrible things that I've done. And on the other side, here's all of the wonderful and righteous things. And God says, I just love you. And your story can change. I want us to be able to take today and be able to sit in that and believe it. And so he is outlining He's outlining what his life looked like. I want to give you just a sense of what Paul's life looked like before. Would you go to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And I just want to outline for a second this man, Paul, and what his story was before Jesus. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Paul also called Saul. And it says this. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. What just happened here was a martyr, Stephen, who believed in Jesus. He was stoned to death and Saul is there, Paul is there, and he's watching the whole thing and he's agreeing. He's endorsing it. And it says, on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church. Entering house after house and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. The guy who wrote a number of books in the New Testament 
the ones that are governing how we are called to live our lives, that's the dude that was putting people to death. That was the one that was ravaging the church. This story is an old story, but this story still happens. There was an article came out just a little while ago. The headline reads this. Pastor hunting jihadi becomes Christian after seeing the hand of Christ save a poisoned girl. There's a member of ISIS. A radical Islamic jihadi turned Christian evangelist said that he accepted Jesus Christ after Jesus foiled his plot to kill the daughter of a Christian pastor by bringing his hand down from heaven to give her blood. Al-Rashid is the guy's name, a former commander of a radical terrorist group in the Middle East. He recently told this news service all about how he went from being the leader of a Christian hunting militant outfit to becoming a full-fledged Christian evangelist. This is Paul's story. He goes from terrorist to evangelist. As reports of numerous Muslim conversions to Christianity enraged Rashid over the years, he explained that he was inspired to form a special terrorist task force designed to hunt down Christian leaders who were converting Muslims away from Islam. Rashid and his task force eventually heard about a pastor named Paul, it's actually here, um, a former Muslim who leads an evangelism ministry that gives out Bibles to Muslims and helps establish secret house church networks in Asia and the Middle East. Rashid and his task force, they they devised a plan to kill Pastor Paul's family and abduct him to forcefully reconvert him back to Islam so that he would become their main puppet of propaganda. The story goes that he tries to poison him and he actually, uh, there's, there's a, the lady who is going to deliver this, this poisoned meal. The lady gets bit by a dog and she doesn't get there. Finally, the meal actually gets delivered and this pastor's daughter eats some chocolate that was poisoned. And as he's waiting and watching for her to die, he sees a bright light and he sees the hand of God reach down and touch her and heal her. And he says that that moment changed everything for him. Well, for Paul, the Apostle Paul, go ahead a chapter to verse, or chapter 9. And it says this in verse 1, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, those who were following Jesus, both men and women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and he neither ate food nor drank. This is Paul's story. On his way to Damascus to wipe out the people belonging to the way, the people who are believing in Jesus, those whose stories had already changed, his story miraculously changes. 
Now, Martin Luther has this great quote, and he says this, Did God call me on account of my holy life? So all of the great things I did, or on account of my pharisaical religion, or on account of my prayers and fasting and works? Never. Well, then, it is certain God did not call me on account of my blasphemies, persecutions, oppressions. What prompted him to call me? It was his grace alone. So for us, I wonder what your story of conversion is. If you go back to Galatians, we see that Paul outlines this a bit more. In verse 15, something changes in his story, and this is what it says. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, that he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh or blood. This verse right here is loaded. There is so much going on here. And you can see in your outlines, before he says, I, I, when I was in charge, I used to persecute and I was advancing Judaism and I was zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. That, that traditions for my ancestors is key. It's, it's, it means the law of Moses. And so he said, I would break the law of Moses to enforce the law of Moses. But he says, now God, God changes everything for me. I was advancing all of these things. I was extremely zealous. But God, what did God do? This is God's work in the life of Paul in his story. God set me apart, even from my mother's womb. And he called me through his grace. And he was pleased. And God revealed his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I I want you to hear this for a second. God set him apart. This this idea, this word set apart, it, it actually is how the Pharisees would describe themselves. They would actually describe themselves as the set apart ones, that we are set apart to God. And so how we will be set apart is we're just going to follow all of the rules, do everything that we're supposed to, all of the laws, and then we will be the set apart ones. But Paul, who was a Pharisee among Pharisees, a Jew among Jews, who was blameless through the lens of the law, needed God to set him apart. And when did God do that? From his birth. That God knew. This tells us some amazing things that God knew before Paul was even born. Before he even got on his horse to go to Damascus that day. But even more so, God knew before the foundations of the world. God knew. And what that tells us about God is his patience. For those he has called for God to sit there and to watch us as we struggle through our sin, as we struggle through our lives, that God patiently, he knows that he's called us and he has set us apart, but he is watching and he is waiting. And then it says that he's pleased. He's pleased to reveal Jesus in him. And that he's called and we are called by the grace of God. And what's amazing with all of this is he says, Paul, You've been called, and you are going out, and I'm going to send you to who? The Gentiles. Have you ever noticed that? 
that Paul is an apostle and he goes out and he's preaching the word to the Gentiles. Now, if I were in charge of church planting back in the day, and I had the guy, a guy like Paul, who knows everything about Judaism, who excels in the law, I'd probably be sending him back to Jerusalem. This is the perfect guy to go out and to reach out to the Jewish people. But God called him to go out to the Gentiles to tell of this gospel of grace. And so I think about this, that God has called you. That God is calling you even now. And what is it that he is calling you to do? How is he calling you? And how is it that you share your story? Where is he placing you? Um, this is Matt Doan. Um, Marie Doan has a hashtag that she uses a lot of times. It's Matt Doan is the best. Um, we all know that. Matt is the other Matt here at Calvary. He's slightly more good looking than me. And uh, he has a heart of gold. But I want you to know one thing about Matt. That Matt is, uh, has been coaching uh, my son Jed's little league team this season. And one thing that Matt, Matt made a mistake, just a small mistake, but it affects everything. Um, at the beginning of the season, he introduced himself to the team through an email, and he said, uh, and I'm a pastor at a church. Now, for me, if I were coaching a Little League season, and I have done this, I don't tell them that until the very end of the season, depending on how I behaved. <laughs> now, Matt goes out, and I'm telling you, oh, the baseball field... And watching some of the parents as they're interacting. And, you know, the umps miss a call. But, like, I just see people go irate. And I'm thinking, oh, how's he going to do this? This is going to be really hard. Not only to be a Christian, but to be a pastor. And how are all of those other people doing that? And Matt, man, he's just blowing it away. He's just coming up there with love. And he puts his arm on the shoulder of the guy that's spewing forth words and spitting. And it's just... But, man, Matt was called by God to go out, and one of the greatest ways that he's living out the gospel is right there on the little league field. And so he's using his story to impact the lives of people. And it's a beautiful and amazing and awesome thing. And so maybe God saved you and he's calling you to do something, but maybe you are looking for reasons that you don't want to go over here. Or maybe this little place over here is making you uncomfortable. But where is it that God is calling you to do? And so your story with Jesus is important. Um, I want us to, to think about this. Let's, let's read through the rest of, of Paul's story. So he says that God was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. And verse 17 says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. Three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, who is Peter. And I stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I'm writing you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. And look, this is his reputation. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. 
If you were to go back and you read through the rest of Acts chapter 9 and you hear the story of how Paul kind of went through things, um, there's a guy named Ananias and God tells Ananias, hey, uh, Paul, the one who's actually persecuting the church, I want you to go, you're going to pray over him and he will restore his sight. And Ananias says, God, are you sure that I'm supposed to go? To that guy because, hey, uh, he does not have a very good reputation and I just kind of don't want to be killed today. And he says, no, trust me, you're going to be okay. He prays, the scales fall from his eyes, and amazing things happen in the church. But Paul is trying to establish, hey, I didn't earn it. I was not given this gospel of freedom and grace because I was such a good Jew, because I practiced everything rightly. He says it was by the grace of God. And so, as we look at our story, I, I want you to just, there's a couple observations from those last few verses that your story needs sanctification, that you're part of growing with God as your story is changing, as God is changing your story, that we want to be growing people, that we got to be in the word and we have to be in fellowship also. We need community. We need people around us that will help us grow. But I also want you to know that one of the greatest things, the greatest powers that you have is your story. This is what my life used to look like, and this is what my life looks like now, and this is how I am using it for the glory of God. Your story has changed to give God glory. I want to invite a friend up. Her name is Tina Holland. If you could give her a big round of applause. Tina's coming on up. And Tina is uh, the director of our preschool here at our school. And I love Tina. She's awesome. We have an amazing preschool. It's good. Um, and Tina, w- what's really important is uh, back in February, you shared your story. I your did. story of coming to the Lord. Um, and for you, this was the first time that you had shared it. And I in want 40 the, years. In 40 years. And so uh, you shared it in February for the first time. You shared it the second time first service, and this is your third time sharing your story, and there's power in it, and so I want you to share your story with us. Well, thank you. Um, I was saved at 18, and I always thought that all of my past life was under the blood, so I didn't share it, as long as I lived my life out as Christ. My favorite uh, testimonies were those that got saved at a young age, raised in a Christian home, went through junior high, high school, college, and never really walked away from the Lord. That's the power of God every single day mired those. So I never gave my testimony. In a small group, we started talking about testimonies, and one of the girls gave a testimony, and I thought, oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me to do so. So if you're not in a small group, get in one, you'll grow. And so I gave my testimony for the first time. I was raised my, uh, as a Catholic and uh, made my first Holy Communion, confirmation, just a typical high schooler, a little bit rowdy, a little bit uh, wild. Um, adventurous, hung around with uh, the Hessians until they got in a turf war with the Hells Angels, and they got too violent for me, so I thought I'd better pull out. Started nightclubbing, fake IDs, nightclubbing, having a good time. My parents tried to have curfews for me, but eh, they didn't really hold. And I thought I was pretty good. I went to school, high school, got decent grades, so it wasn't too bad. I enjoyed life, so I didn't really see a need for anything. I knew something was there that other people had that I didn't, but I was enjoying my life. My dad had a curfew, and it was one in the morning, and um, I broke curfew, so I came home. It was Friday night at one. I came home Monday morning about 4.35 o'clock, so a couple days after curfew, 
And uh, my dad was walking out to go to work, and I'm walking in. I thought, oh, he's going to kill me. I'm going to be grounded forever. And he comes in, he just hugs me, and I feel his body shake, and he says, what's killing me is you're killing yourself, and I can't save you. And he kissed me on the forehead, and off to work he went. And that was the first time I thought, wow, my lifestyle is really affecting other people. I got in a fight with my mom, went and lived with my cousin, and they were going to Anaheim Baptist Church and schools. And since they were going to school, she would bring the kids to Sunday school there. And so if I lived with her, I had to go. Great. Went, heard the message. It was sweet. It wasn't like mass like I was used to, but it was nice. And my cousin on the way home said, do you know who Jesus is? Yes. Do you believe he died on the cross? Of course. He rose again? Yes. Um, And um, then you're saved. I thought, whoa, I'm saved. Great. Um, Says they need to get it baptized. All right. I thought I got baptized before I sprinkled, but we'll get baptized again. Called a girlfriend, says, hey, I'm getting baptized tonight because I'm saved. Why don't you come and meet me at church? So we got loaded and uh, waiting for the pastor to get into the baptismal. Wait, wait, you you what? I just want to make sure we didn't gloss over that part. It went really quick. I try to gloss over that part. My girlfriend and I got loaded. Got loaded. Okay. Because it was a celebration. I got saved. I'm getting baptized. Just before baptism. Absolutely. Right. So we go in and we go into the water and I turn around and the whole church is out there. Scared me to death. I'd never seen a baptism. So I got scared. I'm just sitting, standing there in this water. And he says, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he died on the cross? Rose for your sins? All of that. He goes, okay. So he grabbed my nose and dunked me under, went up. I thought, wow, that was not too bad. Went out, blew my hair out. My girlfriend and I went out partying. Kept going to church because I was still living at my cousin's house and um, just hearing the gospel over and over again. And I knew something was missing. So on a Friday night in my room, I bowed down on my knees, confessed my sins, and I received Christ into my heart. I knew all about him. I knew him, but I didn't know him personally. Received Christ, and at that moment, all my desires changed. I didn't want to go out partying. I didn't want to do anything like that. My lifestyles changed so much. My parents wanted to have me kidnapped and deprogrammed because they thought I joined a cult. (laughs) Um, but ever since then, just walking with the Lord. And where I really know it made a difference is my sister is not a believer. And she said to me, her life is a little rocky, and said, if I could just have your life for one hour to rest and have that peace, I would do anything. You can just receive Christ. That's the answer. And your life desperately changes. And so that's my testament I'd love to share. I love to share. So thank you for allowing me. Thank you, Tina. Right. Thank you. We're gonna start doing drug testing before baptisms here at Calvary. <laughs> I, I just think it's amazing for forty years that she sat on the story and and didn't share. But God is using. And I want I want you to understand that. You have a story. It's not just Tina. And, and my story is nothing like Tina's. I, I was that story that she's talking about that I just grew up in it. And I was marinated in it my whole life. Really, like, never had that moment of, like, I'm a horrible, wretched sinner. And now I need to, like, turn from all of this debauchery. I was, like, five, right? And, like, I prayed the prayer. And, and, and God has been transforming my life over, over the years of my life. But I've given my life over to him. Um, wherever you're at on that spectrum, that your story has been changed to give God glory. I want you to hear today that your story has power. Your story has power. 
And, and we're called to not just have the story, but that we are supposed to tell the story. Um, I, I don't know if you understand that like at the end of time that there's this great battle, but look how powerful your story is. It says they overcame him, the enemy, overcame the enemy because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. That your testimony, that your story has power. But also, and where Paul leaves this, this is not about you. This is about God. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. How Paul ends this passage in verse 24 is, it says, they were glorifying God because of me, not they were glorifying me because of God. And so your story is sacred. What we will be doing in a few weeks on Memorial Day weekend is we will have people up in the tank and we will be baptizing people and they will be sharing their stories. It's a bizarre and weird thing that we do that people like Tina just came up here and talked to hundreds of you just now and more in the first hour. And we don't know, but you just heard like sacred details of her life. And we share that to give God glory that God, you are the one who has restored and you have changed my life and my story. And because of that, our prayer is that others would feel the welcoming and the, 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 the urge to have their stories changed through the saving work of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God. And if you are here today and you're thinking, well, hey, God chose Paul before the foundations of the earth, and how do I even know if I'm chosen? I just want you to hear that you are in this room today. And the fact that you are here in this room today tells me that God is not hardening your heart, but that you are here on a day when we are talking about the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the offer, again, on the table is that your current life, the life that you are in, whether you are trying to perform your way into the kingdom, and you could be an elder or a pastor or somebody who's been coming to Calvary Church for 40 years, your current life might need to be your former life because the gospel is not about you earning your way into it. And if your story is that you have done all of these really horrible things, that you have been addicted and that you have lied and you have stolen, that there is nothing that you have done that puts you out of God's reach, that your story can't be changed today. He is inviting you. And so we respond this morning. We're going to take communion this morning. And that communion, as we take the bread and as we take the cup, that for us is a reminder of the story of God. That God came here to this earth in flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, to redeem us. So that his grace and his righteousness would be given to us. Imputed is the big fancy word. I'm going to have the worship team come up and we're going to be passing out the elements. And I want us to be thinking about, God, what is it that you are calling me to do? How is it that you are calling me to live? And I want you to be open to the idea that God today is calling you out of your current life to make that your former life so that he in the future will be moving you towards where he wants you to be. So let's pray. God in heaven, you are holy. 
Your story covers the span of time, all of history, and you have invited us to be a part with you. And some of us come from a perspective of, why me? And some of us have a perspective this morning, of course me. All of my self-righteous acts, everything that I've done. So Lord, help us to remember this morning that you are the one that saved us. And that you are the one that has called us. And we might not, might not be murderers, but we have sinned. We are sinners and we are in need of grace. And so this morning, as we take this bread and cup and we hold this in our hands, we re- are reminded that your body was laid down for us and for our sin. And your blood poured out for us so that in this moment, right now, today, that we would be able to acknowledge you as king. So we come again. We humble ourselves and we ask you, is there something that you want us to do? What is it, God, that right now you are saying to us? May we be obedient. May we trust you in this moment you would constantly be working out in our lives and reminding us that our story is here to be used for your glory. So meet us in this moment as we hold these elements and we pray. In Jesus' name.